Hello. Today I have uh, Professor Arvind Sahai. He's been my professor of marketing. So all these uh, marketing fundas that I talk about, a lot of them have been taught by sir uh, because I was when I had gone to I am Ahmedabad, a chartered accountant who knew nothing beyond NPV and RR. So it was sir who introduced me, and I, the concept of that paper I realized was a DMCV, designing and managing consumer value. So very fond memories I have with sir, and he's been kind enough to come on the show. So welcome to the show, sir. Thank you, Anurag. Always a pleasure to be talking to you. Yes, sir. So uh, I'll come straight away into the questions and. Uh, so uh, before we plunge into the IIT plus IIM and the MS part of your career, so please tell us about your formative years, uh, your family, your school, and how exactly you grew up. What are the value system that you gained from people around and so forth? So I had a, f I think for my time an in an interesting, if kind of a very geographically diverse uh, growing up background. So I was born in Patna, grew up in uh, Ranchi, Jamshedpur, Coimbatore, Lucknow. I did my class 12 from Lucknow and then went to IIT in Kanpur. Then I worked for a year in Kota in Rajasthan. Then I got my MBA from Ahmedabad. Then I uh, worked in Delhi and Bombay. Uh, so I was kind of, by the time I was 27, I had lived in maybe around 10 places. Um, and so, uh, and I had gone to five different schools, uh, so fairly diverse background, but I grew up also in a large family, um, and we kind of used to hang around together a lot more than is the case today, uh, where time is at such a premium. I think we used to have more time at hand at, uh, during those times. I come from a family which has many professors, so that's been, I think, a very strong influence in my life. Uh, my grandfather was a professor. My father started his career as a professor, then became uh, a manager and a chairman of a company and then returned to being a professor. Uh, but many aunts uh, who have been professors. Um, so that was the kind of background that I grew up with. Uh, and uh, I like to think, I like to research, I like to teach. Um, so that's basically what I do for a living these days, the thinking, the researching and the teaching also lead to a fair amount of uh, consulting opportunities. Uh, so very interestingly, even during these times of COVID, I've got a couple of inquiries, one of which is actually moving forward where there's a company that is looking at this COVID as an opportunity. You know? there, there is a saying which says, why waste a good crisis? There is an opportunity in every crisis and uh, this company is looking at trying to build a brand during this time and uh, I'm very happy to be associated with uh, a project that uh, leads me to think about how to build a brand during these times using some of the principles that I do teaching in and research about. So one of the courses, for example, that I teach is uh, neuroscience and consumer behavior. And, and uh, some of those ideas are directly applicable to the projects that I'm thinking about. So I okay. hope that gives you a flavor for a, a little bit about my background. Yes, sir. So uh, when you chose this IIT plus IM in your days, and that would be like three decades ago. So was it as hot a combination as it is today? Because those times, you know, these uh, high paying investment banking jobs and consulting jobs weren't there. So what really triggered like an IIT plus an IM kind of a 
combination in you there's no great secret to that i have to confess that you know uh, i didn't plan this career of iit and i the iit has happened because i was in class 11 and you know thinking about what to do next and a friend of mine whose elder brother was already there in iit he said uh, you know i'm planning to apply for iit you should also try so i said you know let me give it a try and it worked out i liked uh, chemical engineering chemistry so i went for iits during the iits i kind of discovered my liking for psychology and the social sciences and i was very deeply interested so it was kind of very ironic i was doing engineering but i used to get an a grade in psychology and economics and all of those courses without doing much work almost automatically whereas i had to work really hard to get some good grades in the engineering courses which was when i realized that you know i need to move into management and uh, so when i graduated from iit i had three jobs uh, three job offers one was as a management trainee with dcm limited and uh, the other two were with uh, acc and uh, bhcl Uh, and the other two were chemical engineering jobs so this was a management job so i took up the dcm job my management training program at dcm was you know it was supposed to be the gold standard at that time where you get you got mentored by vinay bharatram or uh, all those leaders of the companies uh, sadly at that time dcm limited uh, was kind of uh, separating into the the different companies that we know today and so we were not really getting much mentoring which was what i had signed up for and so therefore i said okay time to move and i gave the uh, iim entrance exam cat and uh, i was able to make it through and again you know it was not about uh, it was not about money it was about trying to pursue a line of thinking a line of interest something that one was keenly interested in and uh, having made it to ima i think uh, it really helped uh, because you got a peer group both iit and iim i think in that sense for me apart from the learning from the professors uh, it was also a lifelong peer group that one formed uh, that one can engage with uh, at any point in time even today for example just before this conversation that i am having with anurag i was actually on a call on uh, the global macroeconomic situation and investment opportunities around the world during this time and what one can do during this time and this call was set up by one of my batchmates who happens to be involved in the financial services industry in a very notable fashion uh, so those links that i formed were really important and iits and iims for me were were uh, kind of paths to the future but it was never really about the money and uh, simply about learning some new stuff about hanging out with good people interesting people uh, that i still find interesting after 30 years uh, and i learn from them uh, and hopefully they learn a little bit from me as well after all i am a professor so even my batchmates should be able to learn something from me yes sir there are so many books in the background i remember i used to get scared when i used to come into your chamber sir aap itna padhte kaise and aap bolte the ki hum professor hai hamara kaam hi kitab hi padhna hai so so absolutely uh, as a professor one has to know you know okay how can i profess the job of a professor is to profess how can i profess and unless i know i have to know something before i profess so so books are by the way one part of it uh, one has to read a lot definitely as a business professor what is equally important is to engage with industry and to do research 
and maybe write uh, some articles and books. So that is the second part of what one does uh, to be able to do research and writing. In fact, I just finished a book on, uh, uh, which is based on the work in neuroscience and consumer behavior of the last uh, several years. It's, the book is called Brands and the Brain. And I just submitted it a couple of weeks ago to the publishers. So let's see how long, hopefully over the next uh, few months, the book should, uh, should be published. So as a professor, one also needs to create new content that other people can consume. And uh, also to be a good professor, especially a business, good business professor, one needs to engage with industry. Uh, to do assignments with industry. So, so in the last one year, for example, we've done one marketing, I have done as a consultant, I've done one marketing strategy uh, designed for a large uh, commodity company. I've done one pricing uh, approach for a consumer electronics retail firm. I have also uh, done one uh, study for an electric bike manufacturer where we are helping them develop the pricing and the branding approach. Uh, so one keeps doing these assignments. Of course, there's a limitation to how many of these assignments one does because as a professor, my primary responsibility is teaching and research. Uh, and as a professor, uh, the academic system allows you to do 53 days of outside work a year. So this consulting comes in that 53 days of outside work a year. And the importance of that consulting is that as a business professor, you are not then teaching stuff which has limited connection to reality because as a business professor, you should be able to associate concepts, ideas, tools to the reality. And uh, that is what increases the value add in the classroom. So it kind of becomes a virtuous circle. You do, you do teaching, you do consulting, you do research, which might be based on consulting. And then the output of the research and consulting comes back into the classroom. Uh, and creates more future managers and leaders and then some of them come back to you and they want you to consult for them and, and so on and so forth. So uh, it's an interesting dynamic and you know I've, I've been enjoying it for the last 30 years and God willing inshallah I will enjoy it for the next 30. Sir, so 8 years at London Business School, now 16 years and still going strong at IIM Ahmedabad. So how have you seen marketing as a subject evolve? So Early uh, 2000, the case study that used to make the rounds was Britannia Ka World Cup, where you had to scratch that uh, packet and maybe get a chance to win the World Cup final. And now neuroconsumer behavior, analytics, digital. How has that entire classroom education in MBA, marketing as a professor, evolved? That's a very good question, Anurag. And it has what I call as a an answer which contains in itself quite a strong contradiction. So one part of the response to that question is that nothing actually changes in marketing. 5,000 years ago in Babylon or in the Indus Valley civilization, people were doing marketing in particular ways. And some of the key ideas and concepts that they were using over there, as far as we can make out, are not very different from what we are teaching today. So that's one part of the response that marketing has been around forever. So ever since human society has formed, ever since civilization has formed, marketing has been around in one form or the other. Uh, in uh, Babylon, for example, they used to have these tablets where they would draw these images of products that they would put at, out in the shops. The precursor of the modern billboards that you have outside on the roads and of, uh, of advertising on the internet. 
on in another way marketing has changed completely in the last 100 years and especially in the last 20 years uh, you have shifted to a digital medium the scale and the speed of the information flow that allows people customers to make decisions has changed uh one to one physical interaction face to face physical interaction has become a lot less than what it used to be uh and covid will probably accelerate the process because people will be in the near term at least a little more scared to be talking face to face for fear of infection so the move to digital will become stronger the understanding of how the brain works has advanced in the last 20 years so one can actually use the ideas principles and the applications of neuroscience to design better digital media that will more likely draw the ins- the response that one is looking for from the customer so the customer actually follows a particular navigate navigation path on a website and then clicks on the button to buy uh, so there are direct applications of neuroscience in digital marketing and probably the future will lead to more and more of this i'm kind of reminded of uh of an article of a of a book actually by a very famous uh science fiction writer called Isaac Asimov so Isaac Asimov's two most famous series of novels just like you have Harry Potter today in those days you had uh, uh the foundation series and the ro- the robot series so one of the books in that robot series is a, which is a history of the future where there are robots who are helping humans so there are these humans who have evolved to a point in time uh where they use robots for interaction and they don't really see each other or talk to one another or engage with one another face to face they only do what you and i are doing today we view one another electronically sell stuff on to one another electronically buy stuff and it's the robots that deliver everything so maybe that's the direction in which we are proceeding i can't say i'll be i'll be too happy with it because i've grown up with people around me and i love to engage with people and i'm much more happy uh with uh, engaging with people face to face but if the future is uh interaction on digitally then that's where we will go you know as a customer if that's where the customer is going as a marketer as a marketing professor there that's where we will also go but the interesting thing is that some of the fundamental underlying principles of human behavior they will still not change so for example the human brain is wired to connect wired to connect to something to other people to brands or something so that need to connect will still be there except that the manifestation of that connection will happen through digital media rather than through physical media uh so a long answer to your very succinct question is that nothing has changed and everything has changed so the way the amygdala of the brain gets activated or dopamine gets released as you teach in your classes that will happen over the laptop rather than the eye contact exactly. so exactly. that exactly. is going to have a fundamental shift sir in exactly. terms of uh, mba education if you were to look at the more of a macro picture how has mba education evolved like from the late 80s when you were an mba student and i am ahmedabad and then when you went to london business school now i am ahmedabad the psyche of the customers in this case who are the students uh, who do they come straight away just with a placement mindset the media kind of creates a lot of frenzy around the placements do people really still want to learn are they grade oriented is that rat race still on do you give marks for ct still i mean those kind of questions i would like your view 
let me divide your question into three different parts. One is the nature of the MBA education and the content that gets uh, shared in the MBA education. So that will be the first part of my response. The second part of the response is the mindset of the people who uh, come for an MBA. And the third is, uh, I will take a punt at the future of the MBA itself as a degree. Uh, so on the first part, kind of will build on my earlier response. You know, nothing has changed and everything has changed. So some of the basic principles of any particular area of inquiry, whether it is marketing or finance or organizational behavior or strategy or information systems, the basic principles are still the same. But the way in which those principles get expressed are different. So if I'm going to be talking about customer behavior, customer behavior, the way that we learned it in the 80s and early 90s when I was doing my PhD at the University of Texas, uh, the behavior was different because the context in which the behavior happened was different. Uh, there was less, there was no digital media to speak of. You know, I didn't access a computer till I was 17 years old. These kids grew up with a computer till the time that they're three years old, even earlier. Uh, so that the way in which uh, it is actually applied and expressed either in the classroom or on a digital medium uh, has changed. So the way in which people imbibe information, the way in which they kind of process information and take information out from outside uh, is changing. And so to that extent, extent, the MBA education system is changing. The delivery mode is kind of changing. The content, some of it remains the same. Some of it will change because, you know, you don't have stuff like blockchain or artificial intelligence uh, or IoT back, back there in those days. Uh, so in that sense, the content has changed uh, substantially. Some basic principles still remain. How will the content change in the future? That we will come to as part of the third in terms of how the MBA education will evolve. The second part is how is, how is the mindset of the people who uh, do an MBA, how has that changed? So if you look at the cohort that I studied with and you know, plus minus one or two, three years either way in the late 80s, early 90s, the proportion of people who uh, were less driven by the pay packages, if you will, was probably higher. Uh, but partly, in all honesty, because you know the pay was not that much, you came there for opportunities in life rather than just the pay package. People still come for opportunities in life rather than, I would like to hope, rather than just for the pay packages. But the pay packages do loom large when you're getting 22 lakhs, 25 lakhs, 30 lakhs, 40 lakhs as your pay package post an MBA. Having said that, you also have to remember that the cost of an MBA education today is much higher than what it was uh, during the time that I did my MBA in the 80s, late 80s and early 90s. The fees were, you know, very measly, around 600 rupees, uh, 1,200 rupees, which was not really much. And you got a salary of 4,000 rupees. So, so hardly anything. Uh, the fees have gone up a lot. Uh, the fees are now 20 lakhs, 22, 23 lakhs, 24 lakhs, I think, for PGPs. Uh, for PGPX, it's closer to 30 lakhs. Uh, and so, commensurately, the salaries have also gone up. There are 30 lakhs, 40 lakhs, average of 24 lakhs, 25 lakhs for the PGPs, I think, and even more for PGPX. Uh, so, in that sense, again, nothing really has changed because the ratio of the salary to the fees is kind of in the same ballpark. One is to 1 1.5, one is to one uh, in that ballpark. But the absolute amount is very large. 
and therefore people end up taking loans and so they are much more concerned about the pay package and rightly so is there competition yes you know uh, smart people tend to be competitive to some extent we had very smart cohorts back then at i am on the uh, we still have very smart cohorts uh, today in i am on the bus so there is going to be competition is the competition a little bit more maybe a little bit more i think uh, but that's across different fields and sectors and geographies it's not just limited to mba the last part and i probably i think the more important part the in fact i would say the most critical and most important part is what is the future of mba education so i'm sure you would know already that in the united states apart from the top 10 schools or maybe the top 20 schools the mba education is is dying uh case western reserve university has reduced its mba program from 240 people to 60 people four sections to one section university of texas at austin used to have a cohort size which was more than 600 now it's down to 300 so the mba is a kind of a generalist degree to help you take care of business uh it's also an elite degree which allows you to go into certain areas which you would not be able to do otherwise so why is the mba as a degree becoming less attractive in the us because people are looking for more specialist uh, rather than generalists there will always be a need for generalists but the quantity of people that you need with a general mba management education is less so that's why the top 20 schools will continue to have an mba education which will evolve of course and we will come to that in a minute uh, but outside of those schools if you are doing an mba from the united states you are literally wasting your money what is going to happen in india in india the mba as an education will grow continue to grow because we need people who have some management background but even here in india the lesser quality schools who used to offer mba as degrees are kind of fallen by the wayside so quality will matter in doing an mba and even here in india if you are doing an mba outside of the top 50 schools it's probably not worth it uh, you would be better off doing an mba doing a specialist masters course that gives you some some skills that are in direct demand which brings us to the question of how will the mba itself evolve in the future or how should it evolve uh, going forward as people the requirement for specialists becomes more so even mbas will need to have a higher level of technical knowledge than is the case today so the way my feeling is my sense is my view is my estimate is that the mba curriculum should and will evolve this that there will be two tracks which will need to be built on uh, mbas ultimately ultimately need to lead people they need to manage people they need to get people to achieve a particular goal and that requires a very deep understanding of human beings so psychology and neuroscience based courses will take greater emphasis the second strand has to do with analytical skills mbas need to have strong analytical skills that allow them to take masses of data and generate insights on the basis of which they can lead people so more and more courses will come which will lead to specializations in different areas which are driven by technologies such as ai or cloud or machine learning or iot or uh, or uh, blockchain and so on so how do these different tools and technologies influence management would be a second leg and the third leg of course would be the broader strategy marketing and finance kind of approaches which have to be tied to the technologies uh so the mba of the future i think will be a tripod of these three things uh and the 
top MBA schools we need to will need to evolve to accommodate these three. At I am Ahmedabad, I think we are already making some moves in this direction. Many of our courses have these things. Uh, we run a course on fintech, for example, where we we look at how blockchain uh, is involved in being able to deliver services and how one can use it to do more efficient marketing, more efficient delivery of certain services, for example, trades, finance services. So it is happening and it will be an organic uh, uh, evolution. But the interesting thing is, I think for the first time in many, many years, there is a window of opportunity where new schools, new MBA schools, if they have the funding, can actually put in place an MBA school that will have the potential to leapfrog existing schools by using this tripod uh, and marching ahead much more quickly. Because all the schools which were launched in the last 15-20 years essentially followed the old model. Today you have the possibility of creating this new model that is still evolving as we speak. Uh, so it is up to the, the schools which are leaders in their field, I am Ahmedabad being one of them, to kind of also evolve uh, so that, and we are evolving uh, in a measured phase, play, at a measured pace, but we do need to evolve so that we are able to then uh, keep the MBA as a relevant, uh, relevant certification, a relevant learning uh, tool and uh, body of knowledge that people will still want for both purposes, for learning and understanding and for the purpose of getting good jobs as managers and leaders, which pay well, of course. I said pay well, of course, at the last because, you know, pay for me always comes last. It is an outcome. It is a byproduct. byproduct. It, will, it will happen if you do well, uh, if you're serious about what you're doing. So I hope that answers your question. So one question that emerges here is that in India, uh, because perceptions, uh, why MBA is so critical at IIM Ahmedabad is because two and a half lakh people take CAT and only out of them 400 get into this prestigious two-year PGP. What about uh, the courses like PGPX where the applicant to select ratio will be somewhere like one is to 10 or EPGP, which is the new variant where you might not have that uh, strict a formidable entry barrier. So in that case, will the market uh, actually value you for your skill sets or is it uh, going to be some difference in perception? Because you've seen it from very close corners. The market, value, the market values two things, right? The market values quality of the intake and the market values and the market in this sense, the customer is the, is the company that recruits from us. And the, uh, the PGP or the PGPX student is the work in process or the product that goes out, not the customer as you were talking. Uh, so the market values the quality of the work in progress intake and the market values the quality of the instruction and the learning that happens, right? Uh, so one of the advantages of being an incumbent who is well reputed like I am on the bar, one of the top ranked schools, is that you automatically attract the quality of the intake that you're looking for because people want to come there. So it's a self-fulfilling dynamic almost. A virtuous circle that we are happy to be partaking from, right? Uh, the second part is the instruction part, uh, the quality of the, the delivery of the, uh, of the different insights that we would like people to carry away, the frameworks, the tools, and so on. And that is a function of the content that you create and deliver, right? 
so the the fortunate thing for institutions like I am Ahmedabad uh, and its peers are that they enjoy the fruits of this virtuous cycle that is already in place of of, of, of a very good quality intake. It's a self-fulfilling mechanism that's already there, right? Uh, it's like almost a network effect which is already there, which we're enjoying the fruits of. So long as we continue to evolve and deliver value on the in, on the quality of the instruction, the delivery, and there are and the and the content. So there are two parts. One is the quality of the delivery, and the other is the con the content which is there. Uh, then that that cycle will keep going, right? Uh, and my hope and uh, uh, expectation is that at least over here at Am the Bug, we we will be able to do this. But you know, not not every school that is that is there at the at the top may be able to do this. Uh, and uh, those that don't will fall by the wayside. Uh, and one of the biggest challenges of a new school, of course, is creating that virtuous cycle. Right? How do you how do you create that virtuous cycle so that you get enough of the quality applications that you're looking for, right? Uh, that is not easy, but this is a time window where it is possible to do that. Um, if you have the resources, you can actually create that. It's never easy in education, uh, but it is more possible now than perhaps it was uh, 10, 20 years ago. Great, sir. Now uh, I move to the last part of this thing. So one uh, that at World Gold, World Gold Council, you've done a lot of research work. So what is your key nugget in terms of the gold buying behavior of Indians? And as an investor, is it good time to buy gold? <laughs> <laughs> so at IGPC from around November 2018, our view has been that the price of gold will rise till at least the end of 2020 and in November 2018 the price of gold was around 1100-1200 dollars an ounce maybe around 30,000 rupees for 10 grams today the price of gold is around 1700 dollars an ounce or 45,000 uh, per 10 grams gold as an asset class in India fulfills the purpose of insurance, fulfills the purpose of part of the asset allocation in a larger financial portfolio, fulfills the purpose of passing down of wealth across generations, fulfills also the purpose of emotional security, also performs the role of jewelry and uh, accessory in a fashion and so on. Uh, and in the financial system also gold is part of the reserves of central banks. So gold is kind of integral to the life of individuals and to the life of the financial system as well. And going forward, given the current uncertainties, you know, gold buying is increasing. In fact, in investment buying bars and, and so on is increasing. Jewelry buying is decreasing a little bit. In consumption in India has been driven 60% by jewelry buying. That is decreasing, but that is being offset by, will be offset, is partly being offset. Of course, right now in the last quarter and last month, nothing is happening because there's no import. Nothing is happening. But in the coming few months, you can expect slight increase in the investment buying, jewelry buying, which got postponed because of this for weddings. It's still a very large component of what you want to spend in a, in a, in a wedding as part of the habitual practices. So the interesting thing, of course, is that the younger generation of women, many of the many in the younger generation of women are less uh, are less fascinated by gold uh, than people, for example, in my generation. Uh, or my mother's generation, my daughters, for example, you know, they, they don't have this fondness for gold at this point in time, right? Uh, it is quite possible when they get married and so on, and when they have children, they might again 
recreate that fondness because my wife of course like many women uh, of her uh, of her uh, background and uh, vintage is extremely fond of gold and i'm sure she must have passed along some of that fondness to my to my kids uh, so even though it is not manifesting just now it could manifest later so i don't see the fondness for gold going away completely though it has become less and the jewelers are working pretty hard to keep that fondness on right so for the first time in many many years organized jewelers are offering 14 karat gold jewelry where you can buy a, re a reasonably fashionable piece which is 14 karat gold for only 3000 rupees or 5000 rupees which even youngsters can afford so once you get into the habit of buying and ultimately gold is a habit once you get into the habit of buying you will continue to buy and if you continue to buy the price of gold will remain firm so long as there is demand there will be there the last point of course about gold especially in the current environment of covid is as a hedge against uncertainty and risk so that is one of the reason why people are buying and an even further point if i were a conspiracy theorist one would say that this is one of those inflection points in history where there is a shift in the global financial system uh, and the last time the global financial system had a major shift was between 1930 and 1945 when it shifted from britain to america and america led the financial world with gold standard uh there are some people who think that china is trying for world supremacy and uh, they might then start doing that by accumulating gold now the latter part is true china has accumulated gold quite substantially in the last 15 years the us was probably sitting on 50% of the total gold uh that existed at that point in in time in the world so those are some uh, some uh views on gold as an asset class in terms of price uh, our stance continues to remain that there is still some upside potential left in gold uh, with the usual but that opinion has the usual caveat that if you buy gold it is at your own risk please don't blame me if you buy gold and the price of gold goes down <laughs> so final two questions one since you are engaged into so many things what is your mantra for rejuvenation and fitness I walk uh, 35 to 40 minutes every day at the rate of around 6.5 kilometers per hour, and uh, on about half of those days, out of the four kilometers that I cover, maybe two kilometers I will jog, and I do 20 minutes of yoga every day. Uh, so that's one part. The second part is I'm very careful with my uh, diet, when I eat, what I eat, and how much I eat. Uh, so i think if you combine those two things uh, you can remain reasonably fit and especially in these days one has to remain fit uh, covid as a as as a phenomenon if you look at the fatality rate it's actually quite low in india even on the reported figures and deaths it's quite low but given that the actual infection rates tend to be 50 to 100 times larger than the reported figures and deaths are more difficult to hide of course some governments might still try to hide it but in <laughs> india it's more difficult to hide deaths uh, so if you look at the deaths as a proportion of the total actual cases it's actually extremely low so if you remain fit uh, exercise within your house you know walk just walk up and down the house for half an hour you can do it i i have done it i do it sometimes within my house as well uh, so that's you know it's it's just that nothing more so final question what would uh... Mr Arvind Sai 
now given advice to an Arvind Sahib at the age of 20. So a youngster in the age group of 20, 25 watching this show maybe. What would be your uh, words of advice from a career perspective, from a life perspective, MBA perspective? Now, that is an interesting question. Um, see, if you are asking me what is the advice, I would give a 20-year-old advice if that Arvind Sahai were back in 1985 when I was 20. Uh, that's a different question than if I was born in 2000 and I'm 20 today. So which one are you asking? Aja, both. <laughs> Just since... So the advice to the 20-year-old in... The 20-year-old Arvind Sahai in 85, I don't think I would have any advice because it was a different world. The information that you had was somewhat limited. It was a different social milieu. Um, you thought differently at that point in time. Um, so I, I wouldn't have any advice for the Arvind Sahai of 1985. To take um, a different path, to make different not choices. Really, not, not really. Not really. Uh, but if I had been born in 1920, uh, 19, uh, 2000 and I was giving a 20-year-old Arvind who was born in 2000 advice today, I would say that these days you have too much information. Uh, it's kind of literally information overload. Figure out a way to reduce your information intake into manageable chunks and begin to form a view which is more informed by the fundamentals rather than by the huge wave of information. What is the crux of the information that you are getting from different fields? How can you merge that to form a mental and emotional framework for yourself, for life. Uh, that would be the one thing that I would say. Because I find a lot of 20-year-olds 20 20 year today uh, are just deluged by information and they are reacting. They are just reacting to that information. Uh, and that prevents them from having a stronger sense of what is right for them, uh, even though they are much more informed than we ever were when I was 20. But that deluge of information leads to some choices which are suboptimal. And so therefore, my strong suggestion, strong advice, uh, request to them, submission to them would be that figure out a way to manage that information well, uh, to form frameworks around that information that fit your personality, that fit your likes and dislikes better. Uh, so that then you're able to filter and take better and make better choices because you have so many more choices uh, than the 20-year-old Armin Sahai in 1985 ever did. Uh, so it, it was not that difficult to do things at that time. It's a lot Absolutely. more difficult to do today. Absolutely. So thank you so much, Anurag. Thank you so much, sir. For, uh, it was such a pleasure talking to you. Sure, sir. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. My pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you, sir.